in times of uncertainty and radical change, it's tempting to narrow our field of vision to focus on the problems we see in front of us, facing them as challenges that require our attention and adaptation. But in this moment of the life of the church, I feel a responsibility to make sure we're also broadening our field of view. Because the work of the church is not just about maintaining the institution. It's not primarily about maintaining the institution. It's about building the reign of God, beloved community. As I'm recording this episode, we're just a little less than two weeks away from the meetings of jurisdictional conferences in the United Methodist Church in the U.S. These are the gatherings where we will elect new bishops, new Episcopal leadership for the years ahead. And it's tempting in this moment to focus in on that specific task. But I hope for us, for people in local congregations and all of the places where the church is located, even for those of us who will participate as delegates at Jurisdictional Conference, that we might widen our view and remember the calling and responsibility of the church, not only as we think about who we will elect as bishops, but as we think about how we live in each moment. I'm Reverend Molly Vetter, the senior pastor at Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles, and it's my joy to welcome you to this episode of Where Do We Go From Here, UMC. In today's conversation, I'm thrilled to welcome the Reverend Tweedy Evelyn Sombrero Navarrete. Tweedy is the executive director of the Four Corners Native American Ministry, which is located in Shiprock, New Mexico, but there in the Four Corners region. She is Navajo and an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. I've had the privilege of knowing Tweedy for many years, working alongside her, and I regularly find her to be a source of wisdom and insight and a fantastic storyteller. So welcome to this episode. Thank you for listening. I'm glad to welcome Reverend Tweedy. I'm really grateful for your willingness to take time to talk, Tweedy. We have been colleagues and friends. I've decided for like 20 years now. Oh my goodness. Since we both served on the National Council of Churches yeah. Faith and Order Commission together. Yeah. Uh, it has been a while. I'm so grateful for you and your ministry. But I wondered if you would just as we start, tell us a little bit about who you are, who you come from, and where you are. Okay. Well, I am. Um, uh, my name is Tweedy Evelyn Navarrete. Um, I am a full-blooded Navajo. I my parents, and I always say my parents because um, my parents, my mom was from. Low Mountain, Arizona, and my dad was from Inscription House. And in Navajo, when you introduce yourself, you have to say your clans to introduce yourself by clans. So my dad was a, um, and I'm trying to do this properly. My mom was um, Tia Ani, and they say it's born for Lizaflana, which was my dad. <clears throat> so Tia Ani is um, Towering House. And my dad was many goats. And I unfortunately don't know my parent, grandparents' clan, um, you know, because you, you also say their clan. And so those are my, my mom and dad's clan. And I was born in Red Lake, 
Arizona. I was born at home. And eight hours later, my sister, who was a twin, who was my twin, was born in Winslow because they didn't know my mom was um, pregnant with twins. And so when they got her, when she started having the baby, she, of course, I came first and then um, they and then they took her to the hospital in Winslow and my sister was born in Winslow. Um, so I am a twin. Um, I've, well, we were on the reservation for a while and then we moved to Utah and my mom and dad um, had jobs at Intermountain Indian School. And so we lived at Intermountain Indian School for a while, well, all through high school and graduated from high school there and then moved on from there. So that's pretty much my growing up years. We spent a lot of time on the reservation when we came back during the summertime to, you know, visit relatives and be with family and, and help out as much as we could. And then um, my dad always made sure that we came home to visit family and my, um, we visit family on my dad's side and then we'd go to my mom's side. And so we'd always come and visit family and do some sheep herding. <laughs> my dad always said that was really important for us to know. <laughs> So we did all kinds of things. So, yeah. yeah. And did your family, did you grow up in the church? No, actually I didn't. Um, I didn't know nothing about the Methodist church. I went to, um, when I graduated from high school, my sister, my older sister, Cindy, had been to Haskell Indian Junior College in Lawrence, Kansas, and thought that would be a really good school for me to go to. And so she helped me apply, uh, get my application in. And uh, and then I ended up at Haskell Indian Junior College and was there, of course, as junior college, I was only there for two years. Actually, I was there a little bit longer because um, of Rolina. I mean, I got married to her dad. But, um, but at, at um, Lawrence, well, I was um, into my first year. I met this girl who kept bugging me, like, I'll get out to join, not to join, but to come with her to church. And I wouldn't go. And for like a semester, she just, oh, she just kept bothering me. And then into the second semester of my first year, she started bugging me again. And and finally, to get her off my back, I finally said, okay, I will go to church with you if you get off my back. <laughs> and she said, okay. <clears throat> so, um, uh, and this is what's really funny is I, in the meantime, I had met this man. I was working at a little restaurant called N- Nabaki's, and it was across the street from Haskell. <clears throat> and I was a waitress there. And I, on one of my days off, I, I was hanging out. And I, this friend of mine, um, his name was Andy, and I would were talking, and we were talking about what we think God, who God is, and who God was, and things like that, how God affects our lives, that kind of thing. And this man came in, and it's a, it was a small restaurant, and this man came in and wanted to come uh, join to sit somewhere. There was nowhere for him to sit. And so my roommate, who also worked at the same restaurant, said, oh, Uncle Harry, go sit with Tweety and Andy. And he thought, who's Tweety? And so she said, he's right. She was right there. And so 
he came over and sat down with us and we didn't, we just said, we just said, come, yeah, come join us. And we just kept talking and he joined our conversation and we had this great conversation and he, you know, he just joined in. And then it was like hours later, we finally went, Oh, let's introduce ourselves. You know, and we all started to laugh. Anyway, he liked how I, thought about things and what I thought about things. And so he asked if I would help him and do some things that he was working on. So I did. Anyway, now back to this, the lady who kept inviting me to church, she kept saying, come, come to church, come to church. And so she, and so I finally said, yes, I would go with her. And so she took me to her church. She said, it's real small. I said, we're sitting clear in the back. I don't care how small it is. She goes, we're sitting. And it was, it was a tiny church. (laughs) And so I went to church with her and they were doing, um, the kids were up front at the beginning, um, singing songs, you know, for the, for the congregation. And as people were gathering, they were up there singing. And then they went back to their classroom and, uh, and then people were coming in and I knew the majority of the congregation because they were all people from Haskell, you know, people who work there, people who I worked with um, that it was just, it was incredible how many people I knew. I mean, like I said, I knew the whole congregation. Um, and then um, I said, so when does church start? And she said, it's going to start soon. She goes, the minister's here now. And I said, okay. And then just then my friend, Harry, walked in and he was up in front and he came in said a few words and I said what is he doing here and he saw me and he said what is she doing here and we both started to laugh and and I found out he was the minister of the church and what impressed me more than anything else was the fact that he never ever tried to proselytize me or try to get me to join the church. He never even, uh, he was just very um, open to talking about things and how things were with us and never even tried to say, you have to believe this way. And and that's what impressed me the most. And it was uh, Lawrence Indy United Methodist Church. And that was my first introduction to United Methodism. And I was so impressed that I, I started coming and started going to church at Lawrence, uh, at the church there. Um, and so he's the one that introduced me to, you know, a couple people and things like that. Um, he told me about my, my major was social work and he introduced me to community worker, um, a community church and community worker position said you know, if you want to continue, you could, you could be a church and community worker. And I thought about it. Um, of course, when I graduated, I worked for my tribe as a social worker and, um, and then had the opportunity to come work at a church afterwards. So, yeah. yeah. Was. <laughs> so then you've also, so you've served congregations uh, in Desert Southwest Conference. Yes. And now are appointed to the Four Corners Ministry. Yeah. And you're located in New Mexico. Yes. And you talk about coming full circle because when I was um, um, working for my tribe as a social worker, uh, Harry called me one day and said, there's a position open in Shiprock, New Mexico. He goes, they're looking for a Christian ed director. 
And I said, I have no idea what a Christian ed director is. And he said, go and go and um, apply for it. If you get, if you get the position, he goes, then we can arrange for training and for you to be trained. And I said, okay. And so I put in for the position and they called and interviewed, asked me to come for an interview. I came for an interview and then about a week, maybe two weeks later, I was hired at Shiprock, here in Shiprock. And so I'm back now. I was actually in Shiprock working at the church when the pastor, the minister there started for Corners Ministry. And talk, so I have become full circle. <laughs> that's where you are now as the director. And I am here now, right, as a director. I've always wanted to be the director for this position. Yeah. I mean, in this place. And now I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, a beautiful story. You know, <laughs> I've been having these podcast conversations with different folks in the church. And a common theme that has come up frequently is that church has been a place where the folks who are leaders today, like showed up as young people and were given responsibility and yeah. like hired for jobs or tasked with a job and then given some training and education and encouragement. But there's a certain element to uh-huh. the leadership of the church now that's just like people showed up and we trusted them in leadership. And even when they were young or new or trying things out and it just sort of grew in this sort of beautiful, organic way. I'm interested in the question of uh, what matters to our local churches. And I include in that our ministries like Four Corners and in your particular location as a Native American, as a leader in the church, as a pastor, as a director of a ministry. I wonder if you have thoughts about what, um, what, uh, the leadership our bishops give means to you and what leadership we ought to be looking for for the future. Okay. <clears throat> I think it's really important for bishops to have training in terms of uh, or have a better understanding and maybe, I don't know how how to say this, but it, it would be great for bishops to show some support to all ministries, racial, ethnic ministries, especially. Um, because um, when racism comes up or we're confronted with something that colonialism type stuff, that they have an understanding what that means. Um, unfortunately, in our annual conference, and and I and maybe other annual conferences as well, um, the bishop has no clue as to what trauma means or what generational trauma means. And so we have a leadership team that doesn't even want to address it. And I think, and I think it's really important that we have a leadership team that's willing to address what that means. And and it may be uncomfortable as all get out, but at least they're trying. And I feel like sometimes they don't want to do that. 
it, because it's become so un- uncomfortable for them to deal with. Um, and I and I really think that's really important for bishops to know, and for bishops to have that way of just knowing that they have to do some training or have some training. I have been offering training, but have not been even thought of or given that opportunity to bring training um, because I've had people say in leadership positions that we don't know what trauma is. We don't know what you're going through. We don't understand. And I'm like, well, let me help you understand. Let's, let's try to do something in the annual conference. Let's, let's offer something to the pastors. Let's offer something so that we can at least start somewhere. Yeah. And nothing. And are you talking about training both to help us reckon with the realities of the sin that the institution has participated in in the past for the sake of the institution and training to deal with the reality that people who are a part of the church in our communities now are um, living with the generational trauma that they've inherited and that they are, a, they are us. There's no mm-hmm. externalizing mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. um, who, 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 the, who, who we are. Mm-hmm. Because when we don't have that training, the, the, the trauma is perpetuated. Um, I, I, I can't even iterate that enough to say it's really important. I see people, you know, with, with native people, mm-hmm. you know, that went to boarding schools, went to mission schools. And mission schools telling them they can't be Navajo and Christian at the same time. And you get a lot of people around here walking around in a lot of pain, a lot of shame, and don't know how to deal with it. And some don't even want to even talk about it or even um, recognize it for what it is. You know, and, and, and it's really sad to be at a church where they don't even want it mentioned. And, you know, I, I sat outside of a, the church here and, and just cried because the people don't want to deal with it. They don't, you know, they know they're hurting, but they don't know why. Mm. And there are people who are finding ways that work for them in the past, in the past and continue to use those ways. For instance, a lady who likes to yell, you know, a person who likes to yell and and get her way or get his way or whatever. And the person, um, you know, after a while, that's no longer going to work. And it's really sad to um, just watch them be in this pain. And other people, a lot of the, other Navajos who have been in that kind of pain, not knowing how to deal with it, then turn to drugs, alcoholism, drug use, um, a lot of meth use, uh, and don't know why they're even in that. And so it's it's trying to help them identify what it is. What kind of trauma have you been in? What kind of hurt? What Let's talk about the hurtful past. It's hard 
it's hard because then there's a lot of shame to it. Some of them that were sexually abused in boarding school, some of them that were sexually abused in mission schools don't want to talk about it. Um, they just shut it all in and it gets played out in other ways. And so it's really hard for us to help them identify what that is. And that's what I want the leadership team to know that there's got to be better ways to deal, uh, to bring church in a new way, instead of saying like the old way, you have to give up yourself. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to sit in a church where the minister is yelling at you for being Navajo, mm -hmm. for believing in your Navajo way, for believing in your culture. It's hard for me to sit in church to listen to that and then watch the Navajos around me saying, oh, amen, amen, and then not realizing what they're saying amen to, um, and then walk out, walk out, and then it gets played out. The anger gets played out in so many different ways, and it's, it's sad. It really is sad. Yeah, it's heartbreaking and such a distortion of the message of the gospel. Right, exactly, and, and it's sad. Um, in so many ways that you're taught to, to hate yourself because you're not Christian enough. You've been doing ministry for a long time now. Like, yeah. what, what keeps you going? What has, I mean, in, in your proclaiming and embodying a different message than the uh, oppressive message that too often gets shared in our communities, what, what mm -hmm. like, how did you end up uh, <laughs> like making it? How are you still going? What's sustaining you? That's a good question. I have no idea though. <laughs> <laughs> Must be Jesus. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I believe, I mean, my dad um, has always, uh, my, both my parents have always talked about culture and how important family is, have always talked about how important um knowing who you are in the culture. And my mom always had um, ceremonies done. And so I trust in those ceremonies. And so every now and then I'll have like what they call a blessing way done. You know, I'll, I'll go to my relatives and say, I really need a blessing way done. And they will respond and will, you know, get me a, a medicine person that will help me do, you know, that will do the blessing way for me. Um, after my twin passed away, um, you know, I had to have a ceremony done. And so they, you know, my relatives came and, and supported me in getting that done. Um, and I think it's really important to know who you are and where you come from. I think it's really important to know your history, you know, and, and your background. And that's why I think it's really hard for me to hear the oppressive language. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you have to be saved. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does being saved mean? You know, it, and, and after a while, um, after being here for a while, I think my, my whole understanding has changed about Christ. Uh-huh. As George Tinker's Tinker Tink Tinker says, um, he's a recovering Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I, I'm beginning to say the same um, because I don't think I believe the same way I used to believe. I, it has changed drastically and I'm trying to re look at what it is that I believe, um, you know, and, and I, I know I don't believe that you have to give one up for the other. That's, you know, I think they, I think they both enhance each other. I think they both um, build on each other and they can build on each other. I think the both, both of them can, you know, sustain you for who you are as a, as a native. And I think when native people turn to their native ways, it doesn't, you know, not, you know, that if they believe in their native ways and then believe in, in what Christ is about, I think that's, what's important because when you look at the message of Christ, it's, it's about love, pure and simple. It's all about love. And, and I think that's, what's really important. That particular message is all about, you know, about the love that, that Christ brings to us. Well, God, you know, God, and, and that's really important for us to continue to, to show if you really love and care about people, you know, then you love and care about them. Um, for instance, the homeless people around here, we call them relatives. Mm-hmm. They're related to us. Yeah. So we call them our relatives. And when they come to the door for help, um, a lot of them call me by, if they think I'm their, you know, if I'm their aunt's age, they call me auntie. If they think I'm like their mom's age, they call me mom, but they call it to me in Navajo, you know, Shema, which means mom, you know, and, and they'll call me Shema or that, or if I'm like their grandmother, they call me Shema Sana, you know, and it's, it's cool. I mean, I think, and I love it. I love it. I love it that they come and they, they use the family terms for me. And I think when we look at each other like that, I think then we truly care about each other. And so calling them, you know, calling them, coming, telling them to come and when they come to the door and they want help or need something, then, you know, and they call me by those terms, then I'm, I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, this is great. (laughs) Um, Are there lessons that we can learn from that about how we uh, call each other or treat each other in the church hierarchy as well? Oh, I think so. I think so. I think, you know, and it, and it's hard for non-natives to grasp onto that. I don't know why, but it, it seems like it is. Um, because here, my cousins are not brother. My cousins are not cousins. They're my brothers and sisters, you know, and all my, all my mom's brothers and sisters are not the only aunties and uncles, but they're, but they're mom and dad to me. Yeah. And that's what we, you know, that's what we call each other. You know, we call by that family name. We, there's a word, there's a word um, and it's called eh. and eh is family. Hmm. And in order for us to bond and be together, we believe in eh. and I always say, you know, when you're in the family of God, you know, I, when I talk to Navajos about United Methodism, I go, we're eh, because in you could be in San Diego and visit a church in Maine. And if you're United Methodist, you're eh. Mm. 
because you're Methodist, you, you know, and you belong to that family of United Methodism. And, you know, you could go to Maine and, and still find family and, you know, and, and wherever you go, you're, you're because, you know, United Methodism believes in that connectional system. And, and it's, and so I tell them, I always tell Navajos, you, you don't have, you have eh, wherever you go because you, you belong to the United Methodist Church. And that's how we try to tell them that we're, we're eh, wherever we go. And um, because Christ makes that so for us. Hmm. And I, and I truly believe that if, if we, and if we have that kind of thinking and if we truly believe in helping our elders and being with our elders and learning from our elders, then new leadership can learn from that, from the elders, you know, from the, the older leadership in the church, uh, you know, and, and being, eh, and being family and, and being together and being that connected with each other. Can we borrow that same concept, idea, value in terms of how we navigate a moment where there's such division in the church, particularly about human sexuality? Oh, I think so. Because, you know, um, we, we, we got to quit believing and seeing. And I'm going to use the not so good terms here. <laughs> um, but I was thinking that when you think of people who are LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. and it's not so much that they are different than us. I mean, they're human beings, right? And they, you know, and and the human beings is is you know when we talk about eh, they are eh, and in in a Navajo way of thinking, see. Navajos believe in male, female. Mm-hmm. Everything's male, female. We have a female side. We have a male side. Within and within everyone and everything is there's both everything persons. everything. We have female rain. We have male rain. We have female mountains. Mm-hmm. We have male mountains. We have female rocks. We have male rocks. We have everything has a female male side. Mm-hmm. Everything and that's created in this world. Everything has male, female. And for LGBTQ people, they're more, they know more about being male, female. And they're held in a little bit higher than us. Hmm. And they're more holier than us because they know both sides. See, when we're, when we're human beings, we only use the male side of us or the female side of us. We don't know how to balance that together. Whereas LGBTQ people do. They, they see more nuance. They see. They know the how to do that. The story. Yeah. yeah. They, they know exactly how to balance those two. We don't. People who are straight don't know how to do that. Yeah. And LGBTQ people. People do. They know exactly how to balance that. Mm. And so they're held a little bit more higher than we are. And, and, and we always talk about the holy people, how the holy people trust in them more than us. Mm. And so 
it's, you know, and I feel really sad for the church because we talk about love and Christ tells us that we are to love each other no matter what. Yet we as human beings put labels and we put standards and we put borders on what how much we're going to love. I'm not going to love that person because they look funny or I'm not going to love that person because they choose to be that way you know, sexually, you know, sexual their sexual orientation. I'm not going to love that person. We we choose to put labels and borders on our love whereas Christ didn't. And that's where um, that eh is really more important because Christ is the one that teaches how to be, how to have that love. You know, and I always, I always tell the story of, um, uh, of the theologian um, Sorengard, uh, Kierkegaard Sorengard, because he talked about how um, this man was walking down the street and he saw a he saw a sign the store it said pants pressed here and he was so excited he ran home grabbed all his pants ran back to the store ran into the store threw all his pants on the counter and said here you go here's my pants and they were like what are you doing and he said well your sign says pants pressed here and they looked at him and they said no no we are a store that makes signs we don't press pants here <laughs> and soren Kierkegaard says that's the church mm. the church puts out signs that says love found here mm. and so when we enter those doors is it just a sign mm. Or is it, is love really found there? Oof, that'll preach, Tweety. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, and, uh, and, and, yeah, and we, so we, the church needs to decide, people in the church needs to decide, is love really found here? Or is it just a sign? Yeah. Wow. And um, I want to thank you for your time, taking time for this. I know yes, you're, you're recovering from surgery. I don't want to keep you longer, but I <laughs> do want to give you an opportunity. If there's anything else you wanted to say, any advice you'd want to give the church message you'd want to communicate to a local church in California. <laughs> well, you know, I don't let native American ministries die. I'm really sad because I feel like we are, we're letting Native American ministries die and annual conferences because we don't have those leaders hardly anymore. You know, I don't want us to be back there anymore. I want, I want us to have the same opportunity as everybody else and, you know, and, and be able to have the ministries that we're, that I think is so important and have that opportunity to do that. and. You know, like this ministry is, we're like barely holding on. I mean, not, I shouldn't say barely holding on. We're, we're struggling to hold on 
to this ministry. And this ministry is important because we do outreach to a lot of people in the neighborhood. And we do a lot of um, letting people know that we do care about them, you know, and, and that we do, you know, we want to do the best that we can. And we don't want it to, to die. And, um, but it feels, we don't, I feel like we don't have the support that we need. And I, and I feel like Native American ministries across the country, I I don't think they have the support that they need. And I think it's really important, you know, that I don't, I've not known anybody, any new Native people getting ordained. And that's sad. Um, I certainly want to offer my gratitude for your leadership and just our conversation today has reminded me not only how important these ministries are for the the community like that you're set in now but also how important your contributions are what a gift they are to the church as a whole how we Mm -hmm. see christ more clearly um with the benefit of your your eyes also your perspective and your wisdom and the responsibility we have to reckon with yes. the, the trauma that we've participated in perpetuating. Yes, the yes. Trauma that's a part of the system we have enabled and uh, continued. So thank you for your persistence and leadership, mm-hmm. Tweety. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Where Do We Go From Here, UMC. I hope Reverend Tweety's words have sparked some insight for you. And that you'll carry her stories with you as together we imagine the way forward for our denomination. It is a gift to be connected together, to belong together in family. I wish you God's blessings. I encourage you to listen in to other episodes, to share this podcast, to subscribe on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you use. I hope it will be a gift to our conversation as together we seek how to be faithful to Jesus Christ. May God's peace be with you today and always. Amen.